Welcome to Mastering Your Financial Life, hosted by Judy Heft, the founder and CEO of Judith Heft and Associates Financial and Lifestyle Concierge. This year, they're celebrating 26 years in business. In every episode, Judy interviews professionals who help others successfully manage their financial lives. You can find this show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Judy is the author of two books, How to Be Smart, Successful, and Organized with Your Money, For a Better Today and Tomorrow, and her latest book, Mastering Your Financial Life Cycles, How to Successfully Manage Money in Every Decade of Life. You can read chapters of her books and catch prior episodes of this show at www.judithheft.com. Now here's the host of Mastering Your Financial Life, Judy Heft. Hey there, everybody. I'm so excited to have Priya Royal as my 10th guest. Yes, we're in double digits, so we're excited about that. So Priya is a, a an attorney celebrating 13 years of business, and that's pretty exciting. And she is uh, in the D.C. area. She's in New York City and Pennsylvania, and she has offices all over the place, and she does a lot of international work, too. She's a trust and estates attorney. She does tax law. Uh, estate planning, lots more things, business planning, whatever needs to be done with our clients. So Priya, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really happy to have you here. And you want to add a little bit in case I left anything off about introducing you? Hi, Judy. Thank you for having me. Um, I am. Uh, thank you. I just wanted to introduce myself a little bit more. Uh, thank you. That was a great introduction. Uh, I'm the founder of a women-powered law firm named uh, Royal Law Firm, PLLC. And yes, most recently, we have expanded into the Bay Area in California. So we have an office there. Um, I am personally admitted to practice in five jurisdictions in the Mid-Atlantic, most of which you mentioned, from New York down to D.C. And uh, historically, I've represented uh, entrepreneurs and what I call first and second generation wealth um, with uh, building, preserving and passing on their wealth. And most of these folks are coming from the business side, which is why you have the intersection of business and trust and estates, because it's all about people, their money and their values. And that's what I protect. So whether it is business succession planning or it is called trust and estates, at the end of the day, it all weaves in through the tax side. I'm predominantly a tax attorney, a tax strategy attorney. Um, so, you know, I am international. I am an entrepreneur. I am my client. This is how we relate. So it's, uh, I am looking forward to having a fantastic conversation because I know that your business is integral to what my clients do as well. So let's have a chat. Absolutely. Yes. I'm looking forward to this today. So I, you know, one of the things talking about estate planning, because I deal with a lot of that too, just, you know, advising clients that you need a will, you need advanced care directive, you need a, you know, durable power of attorney, healthcare proxy, you need it all. And it always amazes me when people, you know, even in their 50s and 60s that don't have wills, you know, I grew up in a family where my parents were very transparent about that. And they showed me at a young age, this is our will, this is where it is, you know, if you need to access it. And I was even the youngest in the family. But they knew about that. So as soon as I was of age and, you know, thinking about getting married and or buying a home or whatever, I was really open to getting a will. I knew it was so important, you know, not to leave a mess to my heirs. And one of the things that I hear, too, is, well, we're not doing a will because we don't know who we can't agree on who should be the guardian of our children. And that's crazy because you can always change your will. 
come up with something for now. And hopefully you're going to outlive that guardian and you're not going to need that. But it's an important thing to put in place. You don't want the government deciding these things for you. So how do you deal with that? And, you know, why is it so important to have an estate plan more than just a will? So whatever you mentioned is something I hear very often. Um, So let's start with the definition of estate planning, which is a little bit different in how I define it. Because I deal with what I would call a younger, now coming into awareness of the world of estate planning sort of client base, um, I define it more in terms of what matters to them. So if you are a business owner, if you are sort of somebody with not a very big estate as such, you're not looking at mansions and, you know, multiple private equity interests, or if you have them and you're just building it and you're focused on sort of reinvesting and making your investments and growing them on a day-to-day basis, you're not thinking about what happens after I die. So the truth is that estate planning is really not about what happens after you die or if something happens to you. The fundamental foundational baseline, what I call the simplest part, is your last will and testament, the power of attorney, the healthcare documents, which they vary in terminology depending on what Google tells you at any given point or what the state law tells you. But essentially, and then those three things found the baseline. You sort of think of it as a foundation. And then there is planning on top of that. So the last will and testament is effective only after a person dies and it is confidential. Um, and that's where, like you said, you can nominate a guardian that you, at the end of the day, usually a court has discretion to decide who's going to take care of your children. They usually follow your wishes. But, you know, that's that's just to sort of throw that out there that you're not actually making an ultimate decision, which goes back to the idea that you can always change it. It's in your control until you pass away or you're disabled. They can't do it anymore. The power of attorney is effective while you're alive. It usually terminates as soon as you die. And it is to let somebody manage your financial affairs, either for convenience or because of need. Convenience, I say, usually married couples who sort of live their lives together and they do everything together. One goes on vacation, the other one wants to buy a house. You have a durable power of attorney. You can sort of sign off powers to each other and you sort of can sign for each other. Um, and then you can have it combined with also springing power of attorney, which means that when a person is disabled or um, you know, ha- is incapable of making decisions, financial decisions as to their assets, then somebody that they name as an agent would take over. None of these people have to be related to you. The yeah, no, I know that. That's the important thing. The healthcare documents, which would be HIPAA waiver, sometimes it's called a living will, it's essentially to make the really tough decisions. What happens if you're comatose in a vegetative state? What kind of medication are you willing to be uh, take, you know, take it or have, have administered to you in case you cannot make those decisions? That, as you may guess, a power of attorney and healthcare documents are mostly statute law driven, mostly template sort of thing. The will gets a little bit more creative. It can be very specific. You can create trusts within a will that come into effect after somebody dies. You can have it pour over into existing trust. But the will essentially allows you to name somebody or an entity or a corporate trustee to manage your estate after you pass away and go through the court system for probate, which goes to now the second layer. Probate itself can basically get your estate and your assets stuck in a whole administrative process with filings and all sorts of things. 
for no reason other than being an administrative burden for my in my opinion. So as a general rule, you'll have a revocable living trust, which sort of throws all your assets. You still have full control on them, but it keeps it out of the probate process. And then on top of that, you have tax planning, which is you start taking it out of your estate so you don't have tax liability. Under U.S. laws, anything you owe over a certain amount, right now it is $10 million adjusted for inflation. It's over $12 million per person. Again, there are caveats if you're not a citizen, <laughs> you know, if, and what happens with married couples. I'm not going to go into all those details right now, but tax planning comes into play. And then if you're a business owner, you have business planning that comes in because all the shares and interests you own in a business, whether incorporated or not, belongs to you as an estate. So an estate includes everything, including the shirt on your back. So what exactly is estate planning? Is it something we're thinking about what happens when you die? Or is it actually a plan? If you're a business owner, think of it as part of your business plan. It is, it's planning for your personal assets. What happens to them today? How do you manage them? How do you minimize the tax consequences on them today and into the future? And when it transfers to new people and upon sale and upon transfer, that's estate planning. If you're a, you know, person who just has assets, salaried employee, uh, has accumulated assets, house, various bank accounts, things like that, I'm sure. Think of it as just your financial management. It's part of your daily financial management. You have bookkeeping and accounting services. You should have an estate plan. It based again today and going into the future. So, and an estate is necessary even for an eighteen-year-old who has nothing or technically, because an estate is not necessarily as most people think a big mansion or a yacht or anything. It is literally the clothes on your back. Everybody has an estate. Even the person who's homeless has an estate. It is, you know, whatever they're bearing at that moment. So, <laughs> so everybody needs a will, as you said. So that's where we start. And then it's a value-based, what do you care about? How do we do it in the most tax-efficient and uh, in a way that gives the least amount of money to people and entities, government, in uh, as little as possible and in the most efficient way, and then you plan for charitable planning and philanthropy and keeping your legacy and preserving your culture. All of that can be done in estate planning. So that's that's the wheelhouse of what I do. Hey, that's interesting. So do you think, let's talk a little bit about trust, because sometimes I get a little bit confused about trust myself. I know there's revocable and irrevocable trust. Do you think it's important for, uh, for instance, an individual or a couple to put their business in a trust or their home in a trust to protect their assets? Is, how does that work? So as every lawyer would say, it depends. But um, so the, at the, the simplest way to define it is there are, as you said, only two types of trust, and then you get little pieces under it. So the revocable trust is something that I alluded to a few minutes ago, which was to avoid probate. It has no tax benefit. You and the trust are the same during your life. You can move assets, everything. Only thing is that you basically sign checks where you're paying your bills or um, you know, spending for your next vacation as trustee to yourself. That's basically what happens. Mm -hmm. Even the house goes into that. But the irrevocable trust is when you get into tax planning, asset protection, divorce protection, all those sort of things we talk about where you don't want the default laws of the jurisdiction or creditors to get a hold of your assets, including business interests. So do you put your business into the trust? It depends. I mean, if you are constantly 
it depends on the type of business. It depends on where the business is located. It depends on where you're operating. It depends on who owns it. It depends on how it's structured. Um, a lot of depends. <laughs> a lot of depends. If you have a business, it should be in an entity of some sort. Let's put it there. A trust is an entity. It is an entity, whether it is an, so an LLC, a partnership, a C corporation, an S corporation, um, any type of irrevocable trust or even revocable trust, they're all entities. So you want it to be protected in an entity because what happens is as soon as something is as an entity, if drafted properly and structured properly, creditor access, which can also be uh, in a, in this case of a separation of a divorce a spouse, because that becomes a creditor, is limited to the assets of that particular entity, which would be the vehicle, the the trust, the trust or the business. So, and also from a tax perspective, it makes accounting and bookkeeping a lot easier because you have a clear delineation between mm-hmm. where the expenses go, where your deductions lie, and then you can sort of strategically make the connections between them to have some mm-hmm. organizations and wholly owned companies and a trust that owns a company that owns something else that is located abroad. <laughs> so we're, you know, I'm sure people have seen all this. So, yeah. Is there an advantage to putting your home in a trust? Or is it just, is there a tax advantage to that? Or what are, what are the advantages of that? So the, the home itself, putting it into a revocable trust can avoid probate. So in general, in most jurisdictions, uh, in a non ultra wealthy sort of or a wealthy sort of family, you have a husband and wife or, you know, two, uh, two, two individuals are married, own a, own a property together by tenants in entirety, which means they technically, mathematically, this makes no sense. It's a legal term. They own 100% each. Mm-hmm. So then it automatically transfers from one to the other when one does. Some other states have a transfer and death provision, so it automatically transfers to whoever you name upon the death. So you don't have a probate issue up to that point when you have that. So whether you have it in trust or not is not as critical. But to sort of not have to navigate, does the law change? Do the people move? Where does this go? What happens if I sell? And put it into a revocable trust and avoid you know, anywhere from 18 to 24 months of a probate process, which is a bunch of paper filing inventories, valuation, which just costs money and time. So it's it's a good idea to put it in a revocable trust. If you're a taxable estate, uh, qualified personal residence trust is a very common strategy. And you can also have it in a irrevocable trust. Obviously, you can't put it into a business entity because you live there. That's not a business. Right. So uh, in that case, you're doing it for tax purposes and you essentially on paper, you're almost paying rent to yourself for a certain period and then it takes it out of your estate. So right. that's, it's a strategy. Again, it comes down to uh-huh. what the person owns, what their values are, and is there a tax need yeah. or need? We have a few clients, elderly clients who have their homes and had their homes and trusts and that way, and they were paying rent to the trust. That's how they had set it up. So. When they passed away, it was in a whole different situation. These were some elderly people that we were working with. It's interesting, though. I get so confused on some of it, even though I haven't been told it a million times. It's revocable, irrevocable. So how do I know? Well, I guess, what's the difference between... Are you a tax attorney, too? I am predominantly a tax attorney. Um, I come okay, into so what's the, difference, what's the difference between a tax attorney and a tax accountant or another tax advisor? There's just so many different names out there. So um, 
the way you look at it is you need any individual they actually need at minimum an accountant an attorney preferably a tax attorney because of this because it's all about money and a financial advisor or investment advisor and obviously to manage all these affairs you need the bookkeeping and services and everything that come with it now the you think of the investment advisor or financial advisor figures out how to grow your assets by investing in different vehicles the accountant does compliance, how to report those assets and ensure that taxes are paid and they're being allocated properly. The tax attorney is the person who does the workaround of the strategy. So the accountant will come up with, you know, per my evaluation, all these investments are going to generate this much in taxes is what we report. This is the forms we file. The tax attorney, as a tax attorney, I have to know all of those forms and how to do all of the returns. But I don't do them because it's not cost effective for the client, and I serve a different role, which is that I put the I'm the big picture person. I come in, I look at how the investments are growing, I look at what the client's goals are, I look at what they want to protect, I look at what the accountant is filing, I look at whatever they have recommended. The accountant will focus on deductions and credits and accepting things as they are. The attorney comes in and says, "Well." What if we say that this investment can now be a new kind of business and then we're going to start a gifting thing and we're going to do this and we're going to do and we come up with models and structures with, you know, things like creating the specific strategies by which a charitable trust might be better than giving directly to charities every year. Mm-hmm. Um, the counter may look at it as, well, you get a deduction for X amount, but maybe in that particular instance, the client would benefit better from a trust structure or a, a private foundation because of their values. So it sort of brings, my thing is you start with a tax attorney because they can take attorney-client privilege and take all the deep, dark secrets and make it palatable and find, perfectly fine for everybody without ever disclosing anything and nobody can get it out of us. And then we, we sort of build the big picture of here are all the things, this is your word and this is what you need. This is where compliance comes in. These are all the assets that you want to grow and you're going to plan to reinvest and have access to liquidity for. So that goes to your investment advisor. This part gets managed in the future for compliance purposes by your accountant. And then we review it every quarter or so to make sure that there aren't better ways to allocate structure, do new trusts, new entities, start transferring, all that kind of stuff. So we're the, I guess we we sort of wheel and deal across the board between everyone. We, We make the connections. That's how I look. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really helpful information. I really enjoyed hearing that because I think I learned something from it too. So thank you for that. We're going to take a little break now and then we'll come back for a few more minutes and talk some more. Thanks, Priya. Thank you. Hey there. I just want to tell you a little bit about my new book that just came out called Mastering Your Financial Life Cycles. And here it is. It's How to Successfully Manage Your Money in Every Decade of Life. I co-authored this with my CFO, Liz Levy, and together we created this manual that's going to help you through every stage of life. We talk about having a baby. We talk about young adulthood, pre-retirement, what to do when you're 
at that age of retirement, if you're contemplating divorce, do you need an estate plan? We cover all of these, each subject in a different chapter. And I really think that you're going to find this so helpful because at the end of every chapter, they have checklists that you can look at and you can use and they can be a guide for you. So this is a wonderful manual that we've created. It's available on Amazon. You can also find it on our website at judithhepp.com slash book. And we're here for you. If you need anything, reach out. I hope you enjoy the book. Here's another picture of it, just so you know what's going on. Here it is. And I'm really proud of it. It's my second book. And I'd love to have you uh, read it and give me your feedback. Judy Heft, judithheft.com, financial and lifestyle concierge, celebrating 26 years in business. And over the years, I've learned so much. And what I've been trying to do is impart a little bit of this knowledge to you so I can help all of you become as financially organized as I am. Well, here we are. We're back with Priya again. So, I, you know, a couple of things I want to ask. So how do I know or how does anybody know what kind of planning or tax strategy do, do they need? I mean, they'll sit down with you and they have to give you all their information. But how do you figure out? what's the best route to take for an individual? Because like you said before, everybody's different and depends, you know, it definitely depends on this, that, or the other thing, but how do you figure all that out? What are some of the things that you, questions you ask and help people with? Yes, yeah, so I'll give you a little uh, personal side here that's related. Um, before I went into a career of law, I wanted to be a, back in the type of newspapers, I have a degree in journalism. I wanted to be a feature writer for a newspaper, major newspaper. And the reason was I love stories. I like stories and I like to see how they go. This is what this comes down to. So at my firm, for example, you have an initial consultation where we basically get a feel for who the client is and what their general, um, what do they care about? They don't really need to know what they need or what type of planning they need. They don't need to know right. any of the legal things. They just have to tell us their story, who they are, where they live, where all they travel, who their family is, what all they do. And what do they plan to do? That's it. Um, and how? And once you answer those basic questions, then then we do a deep dive and go through the questionnaire, the process, and I build a strategy. Build a strategy with options of here's one option based on where you want to see yourself in one year, three years, five years. That's one of the reasons I draw the parallel to a business plan. It's very much like a business plan. Yeah. Somebody has an idea. It is a business. I will say that we approach running a household the same as running a small business. You it's need exactly to know everything. Same, you yeah. need to know your numbers. You need to know what's going on. You can't run a business by the seat of your pants. You can't run your household by the seat of your pants. But part of it is also sort of the, the it's a natural bridge between what you do and what we do, which is that we can have a client come in having no clue what they're worth, what's in their accounts, what they own, what they want to do or anything. And we will figure it out. We'll build, we'll build the story from the little fragments that they give us. What did you do today? I woke up, I brushed my teeth, then I checked the stock market. Why did you check the stock market? Oh, you know, I have some investment. Do you know how much you have? I have no idea, but I lost a million. Okay, no, it's <laughs> significant. You see what I mean? We can sort of- Yeah, build no, I can relate to that. It's, we get a lot of similar answers when we ask people questions, especially when there's a client contemplating divorce and they come to us and they want they need help with their financial affidavit and they have no idea what they're spending anything on. And I think the majority of people do not know what they're spending, especially today, Priya, when we're so used to swiping our credit cards or even worse, 
not even worse, I shouldn't have said worse, but even more so shopping online all day. You know, that's what we've been doing the last two years. And it, it's just a habit that we did it before, but now we're really doing it so much. So yeah, people don't have a clue. Exactly. And they and they tend to buy products and services that they don't realize is duplicative or is unnecessary. So oh, absolutely. one is getting a proper financial picture of their present today, which would be you. And then coming, getting a proper financial picture of their future, me. So you put the two together and you sort of have the storytelling and then you can sort of go into one, what their expenses are, which is what you would provide with the financial analysis and the, you know, the cleaning up the records, as you would say. And for on my end, I would look at it and say, well, you said like all of these look unnecessary or duplicative. And then we look at, why the why behind that is the big part of my practice going beyond the why behind why the person spends as they do why they make the investments they do why they start the businesses they do why do they do the things they do and that sort of builds the plan because now you have the goal setting plan because everybody's different i mean some folks just need to get that cup of starbucks every day some folks you know have to spend three hours making a perfect cup of tea every day. I mean, it's, but we can work with that. That can be part of a plan to mm-hmm. make a you know financially successful future. So, and especially working with what we focus on with, uh, because it's first generation wealth entrepreneurs, we deal with a lot of immigrant wealth. We deal with a lot of uh, minority communities, women leaders who are extremely talented, skilled professionals but they don't come from a multi-generational household where you've had all these advisors and bookkeepers and accountants all in-house. So they're sort of jumping in, have been successful because they're so incredibly talented and skilled and they know how to do the business or that particular skill that they have in leadership or running a company, whatever it is. Um, But making all that organized, is something that they have no clue where to begin. And right. they may come to you and say, I don't even know what my household looks like. I mean, it's almost, it's, it's a terrible analogy. Probably shouldn't be heard by most of my clients and I know they're alive, but you sort of think of that hoarders show. And sometimes you look at what the clients have, it almost feels like you're one of those people who are fixing the hoarders thing and cleaning up their closet, but right. it's in the world of money. And then after that, what do you do once everything is arranged? That's where I come in. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because a lot of it is their mindset and it's what they grew up with and what they learned from their parents or grandparents or another adult that was in their lives. It's changing. We work with a lot of clients like that, too, helping them to change their money mindset. Like, where did that style come from? You know, who did you learn it from? Your mom, your dad, another person? You know, let's try to figure that out so we can help you create a new mindset around money, which is really important. One of the common things that happens is because we are in this new age of digital media and social media is that folks who are doing similar things and are similarly skilled or talented tend to uh, put their forces together. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like starting an investment together or a private equity firm together, except they do that with their personal lives. And it it's what I often see is that people who are in certain types of industries or who come from certain levels of net worth or certain, you know, I don't mean in terms of race or nationality, but they have certain certain cultural, socioeconomic cultural commonalities, right? Mm-hmm. That they repeat the mistakes as a group. <laughs> and it's and there's a lot to be educated there. Um, mm-hmm. so that's where the opportunity comes in because 
each one has tried to do it on their own and then they try to feed off of each other on how they should manage things. So they say, well, I don't need an accountant because I can use quick, I can use what is TurboTax or whatever right. the thing is. And, but they're not sitting there reading the tax code or looking at the forms. I don't need a tax attorney because my accountant does all my business planning and figure out what type of structure I should have. Last time I checked, figuring out your business structure and planning the whole thing is actually what you learn in law school. Right. So, you know, I mean, you need you need a mix and you need to know enough to know if the first person is doing their job, but not enough to know to do the job, because honestly, our clients have better things to do. So that's absolutely. <laughs> this was such a great conversation, Priya. Thank you so much. So how can our viewers get in touch with you? Where do they find you? So uh, our, I am on every social media. You can uh, look up uh, Royal, R-O-Y-A-L-E-S-Q with the, the hashtag or the uh, or for the, you know, the ad sign. And if you go to RoyalESQ.com, which is for Royal Esquire, um, our website is up there. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is showing up on the video. And, uh, and you can call our firm at um, 202. Should I even give the number? It's a DC number. It doesn't matter. Just go to the website. And Royal Law Firm, PLLC, Priya Royal, I'm only one. So it's, I'm easy to find. Just Google it. <laughs> All right. That's great. Good information. I hope people reach out to you because you've really helped a lot already in just this short little uh, podcast of having, you know, answering some good questions, things that people struggle with. I think, you know, differences between different types of trust. Why do I need a tax attorney? Important things like that. So thank you so much for being my guest. It's always a pleasure to see you and talk to you. And I think together, hopefully we help some people. If we change one person's life is worth this, right? Absolutely. And we have an incredible knowledge management database within the firm. And we are happy to share information for educational purposes. And I even have a nonprofit that is committed to that goal with oh, the power of progress. You. So we are happy to share and educate That's and grow together. Thank, so you, thank you, Priya. Thanks again. You've been listening to Mastering Your Financial Life, hosted by Judy Heft. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing this show with others. You can read chapters of Judy's books and catch prior episodes of Mastering Your Financial Life at www.judytheft.com.